This morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through a small passage here in the book of John, in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning there. And while you're doing so, I'll tell you about a little something that I learned this past week. We went to go visit family on vacation, and I got introduced to a show called Love is Blind. Some of you may be familiar with it. I had no idea what it was and what it was about. But the whole idea is that you have these two people, and you're going to have them communicate with one another, but they do not get to see each other. So can we build a relationship that is you know, going to start out somewhat um, with nothing on the erotic love? We're going to start out platonic in knowing and understanding one another. And then from that, if you decide, you know what, this is someone I can spend my life with, when you're ready to make the commitment to say, let's get married, then you're allowed to see the other person and you're allowed to see their friends. So until that time period, your communication is going, staying in some little pod, I guess. I'm speaking more than I know. I only watched six minutes of it. Um, I walked into a theater room full of people, and uh, after six minutes, I looked around, and I noticed every single one of them was female, except for one male, and he was sound asleep. And so I knew that I am not the target audience for this show. And so, and also, I'm not necessarily promoting it, all right? So don't come to me afterwards and say, Jack, this is an awful show. I, I just don't really know much about it. Why would I share this? I thought it was fascinating because I got to thinking about that. And it made me realize this is how we are with Jesus. This is an individual that I have never personally seen. I cannot go up and put my hand on his shoulder. I cannot hear his audible voice with me. And yet, there is a relationship that I'm called to with him in which I would devote everything, all of my being, all of my essence to be in complete alignment with him when I don't ever actually get to personally see him physically in this life. We're looking at a series on discipleship. And a big part of the discipleship, of course, if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so how are you going to follow this one that you have never seen? Last week, I was in an airport, and I, at one point, wanted to go to a restaurant. So then now they got these high digital screens in the airport, and I walked up to one. I picked, okay, I want to go to this restaurant. And so it calls up, and then it, it gives me the route, but then it gives me the big star. And the star begins with, here is where you are. This is your beginning point. And I think that as we look at what being a disciple is and the path to discipleship, we need to start with the most foundational thing. Where do we begin? What's the starting point? Because we, you want to get the starting point out right to be able to get to the destination. That's what I aim to do with you today, to take you to the starting point. And that starting point begins with the realization that you are not merely going to be, as a disciple, a follower of Christ. You're a follower who's developing a relationship with Jesus. Very important. You're building a relationship with Jesus. You're not into following an idea. You're not into going into an institution. You and I are about following a living being, a deity. Now, men, when you hear that word relationship, I don't want you checking out on me, all right? I don't want you rolling your eyes and going, oh, great, you know, like the show, what, what's this going to be about? In fact, let me suggest something. Relationship is deeply important to you, deeply important to you. Uh, if you got married, you got married because you were banking on a relationship with that woman. But if you have friends, and most of you do, 
then what do you do with that friendship? You're in that because you want, to, you want a bond. You want to understand this person. You want to share things with them and know things about them, and you want them to have that with you as well. We understand about relationship. I was talking with someone recently, just a couple days ago, and they reminded me that most of us in this life, we don't just want a relationship. We want someone that we regard as a hero, someone that we can look up to and we can say, you know what, I would love to align myself to be like that person. That's how much I revere who they are. I would love to emulate them. I would love that value to be so great that I would like to help other people understand and emulate that same thing. And that's what you and I are doing as disciples of Jesus Christ. It was in my first squadron uh, when I went there. I was brand new and I wanted to learn my craft. And I didn't just want to be good, I wanted to be lethal. I wanted to be the one who always won, who, who in an air combat, I'm gonna be the victor and emerge. And so I came to a quick realization. Some of these guys really know what they're doing, and some of these guys don't. So I had great talent in that, um, not my talent, I had great talent resources to go to and to consult and to ask for help. And some of these guys were F-14 pilots, and man, they knew their skill. But there were two guys in particular who really knew their skill because they had spent nearly all their flight time in the airplane that I was flying. They knew it inside and out. Those are the ones that I went to. Call sign Critter, call sign Fish. And I pulled them up and I said, guys, teach me everything you know. And so they did, they purposed to share with me. And they were not your typical brash, arrogant fighter pilots, all right? Kind of like what you see in Top Gun. These guys were humble, but they were confident. They knew what they knew, and they purposed to share everything with me. And as I began to do that and pick their brains and, and, and talk with them and learn from them, I began to know them also. In fact, one of them, Critter, I actually worked directly under for a season. I got to know him at an entirely different level, and it was wonderful. But it all came about because I made the point to say, teach me, show me. Now, this is what Jesus does that's different. Jesus doesn't do like I had to do with Critter and Fish, go to them and say, would you help me? He comes to you. He taps you on the shoulder and he says, follow me. And when you follow me, I will show you. I will walk with you. I will teach you. But more than that, I will reveal myself to you. I will give you the relationship that you long for. And so he's not just tapping me to be on his team. He's calling me into a friendship, frankly, that can be closer than a brother. And that's what all of us want, all of us. And he spoke about this to aid us in John chapter 15. So this is gonna be the pathway to following him. Now I gotta throw a little caveat out here. When I say pathway, I don't want you thinking checklist. All right, when you think checklist, you think step, step, step. And uh, sometimes the checklist can be thoughtless, but a lot of times you still have thought into it, but you don't have heart and soul into a checklist. When I'm talking pathway, Jesus Christ is calling you to be someone who is not going to be soulless, not going to be a heartless people that just say, just tell me what the algorithmic formula is. I'll do it. Let's see what pops out on the backside. Now, again, this comes back to he wants to know you. He wants you to know him with a depth. And so he gives us instruction on how to cultivate that kind of relationship with him. He teaches us the means of which we can build a joyful fellowship with a deity, with himself. And ironically, let me tell you this, his goal is not to make you stronger. That's not what he's doing. 
His goal is actually, his method of discipleship is to reveal to you your weakness so that he can then turn around and be strong in you and in us. And when that happens, we not only bring a greater glory to him, it brings like this greater affection, this greater desire to want to know more about him. It's kind of like he's at the hero level and he just goes up a notch as we see how he works in and through us and in this relationship. So with John 15, you know me, I'm a context guy. I don't like to just jump in and just start guns ablazing. So let me just give you a quick context of what's happening here. John, written by the disciple named John, and it's interesting to me that one of the comments that's made about John is he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. If you wanna know about relationship, this guy's got credibility when he's talking about Jesus. And in his book, it's kind of oriented around seven miracles. John likes the number seven. And these seven different miracles that happen that Jesus performed for others. But it's not till the end of the book when he writes why he's included these specific miracles for you. And that's in chapter 20, verse 31, where it says this. But these things, these miracles that he's describing, but these have been written so that, so in your Bibles, that's the part you want to circle, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John wants you to have real life, a depth of it. And that life is found first in believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah worthy of worship. And the first step of discipleship is the discovery of the relationship that he will give you and the life that he will provide. So I'm orienting this whole thing in this direction where John's going, that a disciple cultivates a relationship with the God that he cannot see, but in faith that he can experience. And then Jesus ain't gonna do it by saying, now here's your list of do's and don'ts. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, no. Rather, he gives relationship instruction on how to know, discover, and love a deity. So if you have your Bibles, would you stand at this time while I read, beginning in verse four, and I'll read through verse 16. Again, Jesus' words, John 15, four. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit 
would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Father, these words, they speak so much to each one of us. And each person in this room right now is coming with a different set of circumstances. And some may very well have a lot of static on the line. Father, I pray that you would help us to cut through it, that we could hear what you have for each one of us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Within this text, one of the things we're finding is this the grace of God that initiates us into the joy of a fellowship that has full access to the Father, to the Son, as well as to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, this same John wrote in another gospel uh, this, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So God wants you to appropriate and enjoy the position, the possessions, the privilege of, we, of everything that we have been given in Christ Jesus. Life isn't to be found merely in what you do, it's to be found in whose you are, who you belong to, and you are Jesus' chosen one. That needs to resonate with you. Um, I'm not going to go through it right now, but if you have your Bible there right there, you can write in the margin Ephesians 1. Man, what a great place to come down to and to examine, to discover how God feels about you based on the way he's demonstrated his love for you. In Ephesians 1, you are reminded Jesus chose you. He has predestined you. He has adopted you. He has given you his grace. He has redeemed you, bought you back from sin. He has forgiven you. And now he lavishes on you wisdom and insight. So many things that he's done. And I feel like that's what makes John's comments here in verse 15 a little bit more powerful when he talks about slave versus friend. Question, based on what you read in verse 15, are we slaves of Jesus? Or are we friends of Jesus? Answer, yes. <laughs> yes, we are slaves who have been made his friends. Discipleship begins here, ladies and gentlemen. Understanding that we are the people that Jesus has purchased, but then as his own, he has turned around to befriend us. He doesn't view us as property he view us as, views us as his beloved, and he's chosen you to be his own. I hope you never get over that. I hope you never get past that. I hope it never grows cold in you. But you always continue to remind yourself of this truth. We love because he first loved us. That is a powerful thing to remember, a truth to hold on to. Um, you remember in your Old Testament, when King David assumes the throne, one of the things he does is he comes back a little later and he remembers his good friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan had been killed along with his father. And you remember what he said? Is there yet a descendant, a relative of Jonathan? And someone came forward and said, yeah, there is. His name's Mephibosheth. He's crippled in both feet. And David said, bring him here. Now, a lot of people might have thought, uh-oh, he wants to kill the line of Jonathan, but it was the exact opposite. He said, bring him here. He's going to eat at my table. He's going to live in my house. I'm going to bestow on him everything that I can in honor of his father, Jonathan. 
And so as a result, that man was chosen. What did he bring? Nothing. He was crippled. He couldn't provide anything. He was chosen. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you in Christ, you're the same way. You have been chosen, and you don't bring anything to the table except problems. And God says, I still choose you, and I still pick you, and I'm still going to work in and through you. Now, that is meant to cultivate in us a response of love. Not of duty and responsibility merely, but one of love and of depth of love. And yet, if we're honest, and I hope we all are here, that love can at times grow cold. Now, nobody's going to amen me out loud, but I think every single one of you is going to do it inside. Yes, we do. And that's just like every relationship that we have, isn't it? Uh, for you folks that are married, do you have to fan the flames of romance in that relationship? Everybody say, yeah. Yeah, okay, because I can't be the only one. No, you, all of us have to do this. Uh, I mean, that's why you need a date night. That's why you need fun activities that you can do together and romance and not just tackle team tasks. This past Friday night, I took my wife out to dinner on a, yeah, dinner, and then a Costco trip and kept it all off. And she enjoyed it, so I got that going for me. I could probably do better than Costco next time, though. But, it, I mean, it's like a, what do they call it, a blacksmith's bellows. You know, you, you push that bellows, and it pushes the air over the coals, and it generates this white-hot heat that's just fanning the flames. And that's what we have to do in every relationship. And for you marriage, you know, if you don't cultivate that, what happens? Marriage has a way of devolving, doesn't it? Before long, what are you? One of you's a butler, one of you's a maid. One of you's a chauffeur, one of you's a cook. One of you's the one who finds the remote, and the other one is the one who knows how to work the remote. <laughs> and then you keep doing this long enough, when you reach old age, it's one of you is the one who is able to see the movie and explain it, and the other one is able to hear the movie and to say what's going on. All our relationships have to be invested in. You have to pour into it. How do you do this with Jesus? Time with purpose. You got to meditate on the glory of God. You have to purpose to look and to examine and to see the beauty of Jesus and who he is. You have to grow in your knowledge of him and your understanding. You got to practice his presence and be deliberate to follow after him. And if you do that, you're not just gonna walk away with some sort of academic idea and explanation of who he is. You will have an experiential love, which everybody wants. That's what you'll have with him. And yet, most of us, we struggle with this, don't we? We don't have a clue as to what that looks like. And I think that's why John 15 is worthy of our consideration. So I wanna kinda of present to you what John's describing here, sort of in a reverse order of what you can expect. In verse 8, Jesus said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, so there's one, there's the aspect. As a disciple of Jesus, I want to glorify him. How do I do that? Well, he, here he says how you do it. You bear fruit. Bear fruit. Got it, got it. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean that you're to bear fruit? Well, that's verse 4. How do I bear fruit? Abide in me, and I in you. 
And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, so I got it. So abide in Jesus, which, I mean, what does that even mean? To abide in something is to remain in it. So how do you do that? What does it look like? Well, he describes it here. Just like a vine abides in a branch. Another image that comes to my mind, a baby in the womb is connected by the umbilical cord. You sever that cord, you'll take that life. There has to be an abiding presence that occurs here. Well, how do we stay connected? How do we do that? That's verse 10. If you keep my commandments then you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so the best example we have of this is Jesus. This is exactly what he did. All throughout his life and ministry, all he did was what the Father wanted him to do. It was an obedience unto him. And as a result, he continued to abide in that relationship with him. You know, as I was thinking through an, an image on this, I went back to my flying days. Because one of the things we realized, if you were going to an airport, and you want to get to that destination, you want to land on a particular runway, we had to take these instruments in your cockpit and dial up a radio frequency that would connect you with this signal that was coming from the airport. And the signal gave you a path to kind of funnel you into the runway, and it gave you a glide slope to take you from high to low in, in these, all these dimensions. And so you follow that, you align, you find that frequency, you make sure you have it, you align with it, you abide in the on the glide slope, and you abide in the path, and you will get to the destination of the airport that you want to go to. In fact, even if you had a clear day, you want to tune that in and make sure you went to the right runway. Um, I was at, it was Biloxi, Mississippi. I was at a uh, military base one day, and all of a sudden I looked, and Biloxi had this runway, a military runway, and a civilian runway just a few miles west of it and they looked exactly the same and I'm sitting there next to the tower getting ready to go for a takeoff and I look and I see the civilian plane come in this military base and land his airplane and I knew something he didn't tune in he got to a destination it, he did not abide in the destination frequency that he was supposed to and as a result he got met with men with m16s greeting him as he got out of the plane and his friend got out of the plane and their sobbing wives got out of the plane and walked into the tower where they got shot. Just kidding, they didn't really get shot. <laughs> I'm sure his wallet got shot with a heavy fine. My whole point, abiding happens when you're in the presence, when you're in the obedience to God. That's how you get to that destination of a union with him. But Jesus reminds us of the key motivator here. It's not practicality and it's not just your own personal benefit. It is a love for him. And in verse 15, we find the key to loving him. And that's going to be to know him. Look at it. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. For those of you who have been reading your Bible through with us, it was just a couple of days. We were doing Psalm 111. And that was a fascinating psalm because most of the psalm was just the psalmist remembering everything that God had done. And it just built his love, built my love for God in thinking all that God has done, that reminder is the fanning of the flames. It's the knowledge of who God is and what he's done that builds and develops that love. And so what John is showing us here is this really just this mutual relationship between fruit bearing, abiding in Christ, obedience to Christ, and then personal knowledge and love of Jesus. And all of these are working in conjunction with one another 
to bring you to that full depth of knowledge and relationship as to who he is. And all of these are meant to bring you into an experiential love, not merely a mental ascent. But to do that, you got to invest in the relationship. So if you want to cultivate your relationship, your love for God, you feel like it's cold, this is your path. You begin by, do, by living in this way to then begin to experience his presence, which then causes you to want to cultivate it more as you discover more, and it just begins this self-perpetuating process. Why don't we find this in life? Because we don't invest the time. All relationships demand time. And if God only gets what's left over of your time, he's not going to get anything at all. You got to know and you got to grow in your love. You got to grow in your knowledge. That means you do have to pick this thing up and you got to read it and you got to study it. And most of us, when we hear that, we think, okay, I can do that, but we don't know how. And that's part of what we as a church, that's part of our mission as a church, is to help one another to know how to study and to grow from it and to apply these things that we've learned from a person we never actually get to see, not physically, but he will make himself known to us through it. One of my personal heroes of the faith was a man named Howard Hendricks. Some of you I know are familiar with it. Um, his, His nickname was Prof. They're at Dallas Theological Seminary. He'd taught there for 60 years. He was there. Now, I grew up in North Texas, and I encountered all these people that Hendricks had impacted. Now, I didn't so much do anything with Hendricks, but I had all this engagement with all these people that knew him. And so as a result, I was learning all kinds of things that they had learned that Hendricks had taught them. And so before long, they start making quotes, and I'd hear it, and I'd go, ah, that's a Hendricks quote. That's not original with you. I can recognize Hendricks, you know, and it just, this continued to go on over time. And then finally I realized, well, I want to go for the source. You know, if, if they're getting all this from him, I'm going to start getting this from him. So this is back in the days of cassette tapes. So I started getting his tapes and getting his then VHS tapes and watching him and studying him and listening to him and learning from him and seeing all these different things that referenced him. And I knew about things like the broken home that he grew up in and the things that shaped him and the testimony of his life and how God used him and what drove and inspired him. And I never met him personally. Never once. I went to DTS. He was still there. I was hoping I could take a class from him. But by that time, he had contracted cancer. And the only course I could take was one that was online, and they had recorded him. And it was just a video, uh, yet another video of him. Um, Until one day, I went to the chapel service. And that's something that we had to do every day that we were there on the campus. And I walked in the chapel service, and I look across, and lo and behold, who do I see in the flesh? Howard Hendricks. Cancer had ravaged him. He had lost an eye already to it. His face was, had all kinds of surgical scars on it. And I could just tell looking at him that a little bit of the light had gone out. He was exhausted. He was tired. He was worn out as a result of his battle that eventually took his life. But I could see him, and as I looked over there, just this affection welled up in my heart. And I'll tell you, this is one of my, one of my few great regrets in life. 
when chapel was over, I had to hustle back to my class and I want to be on time. And if I could do it all over again, I would have skipped that class altogether. I wish I had gone over to him and cut through this crowd that just gathered around him, waited my turn to go up and look at him and to say, Mr. Hen Dr. Hendricks, prof, you impacted my life and this is the first time you've met me. The first, you've never laid eyes on me. You have not even known I existed, but your life has shaped and changed mine. And as a result of any ministry I have, you shaped and changed the lives of others that are around me. Now, every analogy falls short in some way, right? But that meeting with him did make me, or that failure to go and to meet with him, but see him from a distance, it made me think about this passage. And it made me think about what Peter said about our relationship with Jesus. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Discipleship is an entirely an outflow of first knowing and loving the person of Jesus Christ and being devoted to growing in that knowledge. And the more you do that, the more you'll obey, the more you obey, the more you'll find that abiding presence. And as you abide, you'll begin to see fruit. And as you see the fruit, you will see God glorified. And as a result, the relationship that you have with him will just continue to grow and grow more and more. Because a disciple cultivates a relationship with the God that he cannot see, but in faith can, and I'll say, and will experience. Would you bow with me? As you bow, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up at this time. I've made an assumption in this sermon as I've talked with you, and that assumption is that you have known Jesus and made a profession of faith, but there may very well be some of you that are here that are online, and that is not the story with you. You've never made that commitment. And maybe this is the opportunity now where you say, I'm ready to be the disciple. I want to learn who this Messiah is based on all these things that I've learned about him and I know how he feels about me. And if that's the case, it's not complex. It's just an acknowledgement of going before him and praying something along the lines like this. God, I get it. I'm a sinner. You're pure. I'm the problem. You fixed it. And I trust in Jesus now. I'll walk in that, and would you give me the life as I have believed in Christ Jesus as that Savior? And he will do it. He's tapping. He's tapping on your shoulder, and he's inviting you to come and to follow him.